Hey, good morning. Welcome to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. If this is your first Sunday here, my name is Dustin. I get to be the pastor here. Uh, we're taking a break. Uh, we've been going through the Gospel of John for the last several months. We'll pick up uh, next week in John, but this Sunday, since it's the kickoff of the new year and we've got a new theme for the church, uh, the theme is Hope for the Valley. Hopefully you can read that uh, behind me or on my t-shirt. Uh, I am wearing a t-shirt, so... My wife did let me do it. It is, was, it was quite a stretch, but it says hope for the valley. That's why I'm wearing a t-shirt to preach in. But uh, this is the whole theme, and so it's fitting for us to spend just this Sunday on the new theme verse, which will also be our benediction for the rest of this year. Uh, you may already know it. Maybe you've already memorized this verse. It's a beautiful passage. It's Romans 15:13. If you've got a hardback Bible, it's page 1,129. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's printed word open in front of them. Uh, with that in mind, uh, friend, hear the word of God in one simple verse, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, y'all, may abound in hope. It is plural. Uh, friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray as you take your seat and keep that Bible open in front of you. Would you pray with me? Now, Father, we pray uh, for everyone in this room, uh, whether they know you or whether they haven't met you yet, that they would abound in hope. Father, you are the God of hope. Give us joy and peace as we believe. And Lord, would you give us a vision for our valley? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, friends, you know, the big theme for this year is hope for the valley, and uh, that came out of a leader retreat a few weeks ago that uh, the staff and the elders went to, and so the whole theme this year as a church is going to be reaching our valley, the Rogue Valley, with the hope of the gospel. Uh, so as we dive into that, I do have a quick question for you, if that's all right. Um, just, you know, think for a second, how important do you think hope is? You know, how important to life do you think having hope is? Um, you know, if you think about it, if someone lacks hope, or let's say somebody loses hope, you know, what does that do to a person? Or think about somebody who doesn't know the hope of the gospel, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us because of the great love with which he loved us. If somebody doesn't know that gospel hope, that all of our sins are completely forgiven in Christ, if somebody doesn't know that hope and assurance, what does that do to somebody? Uh, there are people in this room that can remember what their life was like before they found the hope of the gospel. What does that do to somebody? Or maybe you're a Christian. Well, what does that do if you're a Christian and in the midst of life's struggles and marriage problems and work problems and family issues, what happens to the Christian who loses her hope? Or what happens to a teenager when a teenager loses hope? Or on the other side, what happens when a teenager realizes what she's capable of? What does that hope do to a teenager? What happens to an entire church when it loses hope? Have you ever been a part of a church community that lost hope? What did that do to the church? Or have you been a part of a church that recaptured a vision of hope? What does that do to a church? So let me ask it again. You know, how, how important do you think hope is? for people and communities and churches? Well, uh, I, we're not the only ones to think about this question. A few years ago, in 2013, Christianity Today, the magazine, ran a front-page article uh, questioning the role of hope. 
And the front page article asked a simple question, does child sponsorship work? And if you don't know what child sponsorship is, if you're unfamiliar with that idea, it's basically when a Christian organization like World Vision or uh, Compassion International, anybody heard of those? World Vision or Compassion International? Well, these organizations will work in developing countries, and they basically create after-school programs, mentoring programs, and uh, church programs for kids to go to where they get mentored into school, and if they have basic medical or food issues, uh, these after-school programs uh, try to provide for children in poverty. Um, Also, the sweet thing about child sponsorship is the way it works is a family or individual in America gives about $30 a month, and they sponsor a child in the developing country. So $30 a month allows a kid to go to an after-school program. Uh, For for sort of a frame of reference, um, in 2013, Americans gave over $5 billion towards child sponsorship programs, and there were over 9 million children in the developing world who were sponsored. Uh, So that's a lot of money, right? That's $5 billion of development work. Uh, going out. And so uh, a professor at the University of San Francisco, a guy named Bruce Weidick, an economics professor, wanted to study whether or not that $5 billion, you know, $5 billion was actually doing anything in the lives of these children in the developing world. Uh, so Bruce Weidick worked with a uh, grad student from the University of Washington, a good person from the Pacific Northwest. They traveled to six developing countries. They polled information on over 10,000 children in these programs and children not in programs. And what they found, they presented to Cornell, the World Bank, UC Berkeley, UC Davis, all of the elite schools were presented with their findings on this study. And guess what they found? Child sponsorship is radically the most successful child development program in human history. Uh, More than anything the World Bank had ever devised or the IMF or any secular government. And so Weidick, this professor at the University of San Francisco, is trying to wrap his mind around why does child sponsorship work? And you can go online, you can Google his name and read his, his scholarly article that he published. And what Weidick says is what changes in these kids is one simple thing. And what is it? It's hope. It's hope. Uh, it's not just being a part of a church and learning that God loves them and that God has designed each one of us uniquely, although that's a part of it. It's not just the after-school mentoring. It's not just the attention of somebody from America uh, encouraging them and sending them letters. What it was is all of those things combined to give children hope that their future is blessed. So as I've, I've thought about that for several years, full disclosure, my wife and I have sponsored Compassion Kids for over a decade, uh, so we're a big fan of the organization but as I've prayed a lot for the Rogue Valley this past year, um, coming up on my one-year anniversary very soon, it's very exciting, um, I can't shake the thought, friends, that what our people need, whether they're kids or parents or grandparents or widows or widowers, what these people need and what we need as a community is we need hope. We need hope. Uh, maybe you're familiar with uh, something the pastor over at Westminster Presbyterian talks a lot about, ACEs. Anyone ever heard of an ACEs score? It stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. It came out of the CDC several years ago, and it's this idea that when you have bad, adverse childhood experiences, those have rippling effects throughout the rest of your life. Abuse, trauma, dysfunction, uh, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from, all those kind of negative things that happen to us as kids sort of echo through time 
and they continue to affect us. And the CDC says about 40% of Americans have had ACEs on some level. Uh, you know, and I, I couldn't find it. I tried really hard, as you could probably guess. I tried really hard to find if the ACEs score of people in the Rogue Valley was higher than average. Uh, my, my assumption uh, that I cannot confirm is that it is higher than average. Anyone here know their ACEs score? Never done that. Every school in Jackson and Josephine County have been trained in understanding what ACEs are. So all that to say, what I want to suggest to you, friends, is if you put you know, your finger on the pulse of our community, I think what people most desperately need is they need the hope of the gospel. And friends, the memory verse for this year, the theme verse for this year, Romans 15, 13, is all about hope. And in fact, this is the only verse in the Bible uh, that, said, that describes God this way, but it actually calls God the God of hope, the God of hope. And God's plan for his people is that you and I would abound in hope. I mean, look at Romans 15, 13 in your lap. He is the God of hope. Now, what does that mean that he's the God of hope, right? It's the beginning of that verse. He's the God of hope. Well, right there in Greek, what that means is he's not, he's, God's not a hopeful God. That's not what it means. What it means is he is the God who produces hope in people. He is the God who gives us hope. And friends, this is the great Christian hope, right? Is that our hope is not in a political party taking back power or a political party maintaining its power or about you achieving some economic status or your kids reaching an economic status. The hope for a Christian is grounded in what God is doing. <laughs> I mean, I think everybody can probably agree, right, that something is wrong with our world, right? Anyone, anyone want to challenge that one? <laughs> Right? The problem, of course, is you and I struggle with sort of defining what the problem is. Right? I mean, if you listen to the news and stuff, right, it's a big question about what is the problem. Well, Christianity comes along and says the problem is profoundly that you and I are sinners who reject a good God. And the main problem is because we're not right with God, we're not right with each other. And that when we become right with each other, it's only because we've been made right with God. God. I know that may sound confusing, but think about it this way. When somebody asks Jesus, what's the most important commandment? How does Jesus respond? Anybody remember? Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what? And your neighbor as yourself. You see, the hope of the gospel is rooted in understanding what the problem is. You know, uh, you know, we've been wrestling this for a while, but, you know, over a hundred years ago, a guy named G.K. Chesterton, everyone ever, anyone ever read Chesterton? Catholic writer, wrote the book Orthodoxy. Uh, Chesterton famously responded to the London Times. They put out a question for people to write back, you know, a letter to the editor type thing. And they said, you know, what do you think is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton famously wrote back, a good Christian, what did he say? Dear sirs, I am. <laughs> Right? So understanding the gospel primarily understands that what's wrong with us is we're not, until we come to faith in Jesus, we're not reconciled to God. And until we're reconciled to God, we'll never really know how to love other people. Um, maybe we'll, we'll grasp at it and do it sometimes, but to consistently love people, to treat them the way God wants us to treat them, we've got to be oriented towards the Lord himself. See, this is why God is the God of hope, because only he can really solve the root problem, which is sin. It's what's wrong in my heart. 
And so the amazing thing, the hope of the gospel, is that God has entered our world. In fact, this is really what the book of Romans is all about. Um, I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on the book of Romans, you know, thank the Lord. But we can summarize the book of Romans simply like this, that a broken world is being renewed day by day because Jesus Christ, God the Son, entered our world. And he's not just here to save Israel. He is here to save all of the nations and Israel. In fact, that's all over Romans 15. Look at verses, start, look at verse 8 and go through 10. I mean, this is what Paul's always getting at, right? The hope, look at verse 9, in order that the Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And why? Why do all the nations, tribes, languages, and tongues of this world have hope? Well, Paul says it right there in verse 12. It's because the prophecies of Isaiah are all true. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. He's talking about Jesus, the Jewish Messiah who's come in the place of two people to create one new humanity. See, friends, this is, this is the hope that Christians have. I mean, you know that sense of longing you have when you watch the news and you get all depressed and you get angry and then you get more depressed and then you reach for the cookies and then you've ruined your New Year's resolution and then you are mad at your spouse because they were the ones who bought the cookies? You see, to understand what's going on in the world, you've got to understand what the core problem is and what the only thing that can truly fix it is. You see, and what Paul has captured a vision of is Jesus is back from the dead. And he is living, breathing, pulsing proof that in Christ he is making all things new. And Jesus is the first fruits of the new creation. He's the down payment that everything is going to be made new. That not, the, the, the future of the world is not wars and rumors of war. The future, ultimately, is that, as Isaiah says, we'll beat our farm tools down from swords. He says, instead of rising up swords, we'll beat our swords into plowshares. Talks about a vision of hope. So part of being a Christian, right, is setting our mind on the hope of Christ's return And the beauty that God isn't waiting until he returns to start renewal. In fact, every time someone comes to faith in Jesus, that work of renewal starts to happen. It starts to happen within us. This is what it means to know the God of hope. Now, notice again, he he says, this this is really a prayer, right? This is a pastoral prayer from Paul to the people in Rome. In a very real way, this is my prayer for our church as well. He says, now, may the God who gives us this kind of hope He says, do what? I want this to fill y'all. Right there, you can even write that in your Bible. It's you, plural. It is, he wants it to fill the church. It wants it to fill God's people. And what I love about that word fill right there is, uh, it, it can sometimes be translated fulfill. You know, like this was said to fulfill what the prophet said. And if you want to understand what that word means, it's easy sometimes to flip the word fulfill to just simply fill full. Does it make sense? So in a way, what, what Paul is saying, he says, I want the God who produces real hope, um, not the kind of hope that's going to disappoint 
a real hope rooted in the gospel, rooted in what God is doing in Christ. I want it to fill you full with joy and peace as you go on believing in this hope. And he says, I want it to fill you all. And uh, if I could say anything as your pastor, friends, I want you, I want our church to be filled full with hope. I want you to have hope for your marriage. I want you to have hope if you're a widower, if you're a widow. I want you to have hope if you're a grandparent. I want you to have hope if you've been divorced and you can't quite figure out the next step. I want you to have hope if you're a teenager or you're a child. I mean, this is Paul's pastoral pleading with the Lord. This is Paul's prayer to God. He says, God, you are the God who gives hope. Please fill these people full with hope. Now, I know hope is, hope is hard to grasp sometimes. Um, and I don't, I don't know if this will help you or not, but um, I'm trying to memorize this statement. So maybe you could write this down if you're that kind of person. Uh, but I think to really start to experience hope and to express it, I think you have to realize what hope is. Um, and hope is a habit. Uh, so write this little saying down, if you, if you write down, down things. Um, hope is a habit to experience and to express. Uh, if, you, if you read the Catholic Catechism, anyone read the Catholic Catechism this week? I did. <laughs> and I love what the Catholic Catechism says about hope. It calls hope a virtue, which is a spiritual habit that you and I practice. It's a spiritual habit. Now I know some people are all down about habits. But then again, is that how you parented? Were you down on habits when you were parenting your kids? Or were you like, there needs to be a habit for you to do your homework. And I want you to habitually brush your teeth. And I want you to habitually put on deodorant, right? Don't poo-poo the idea of habits. Habits are wonderful things. Habits are the things that you and I should be doing as first nature that for the time being are second nature, right? And we need to move second nature things into first nature things. Uh, If you think about The Power of Habit, anyone ever read the book, The Power of Habit? It's a great book. It's not a Christian book or anything, but it is a wonderful book on talking about how someone develops habits. And uh, I mean, if you think about it, you and I are living in a world that is really, 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 really good at changing your habits. Um, Anyone want to get depressed? How many hours do you think people spend on video games right now? How many hours per week does the average American stare at a screen? Those are all things that happen to us because we're inculcating habits. Habits. Right? So if we're going to become hopeful people, um, hope is not just something you're going to be like, oh, I heard a sermon on hope. Now I'm hopeful. <laughs> I wish I could preach like that. That'd be awesome, right? H- hope, I'm, I'm introducing you to something that needs to become habitual. Hope is a habit that you and I need to experience first. I mean, look at this verse. I mean, on a very basic level, this is Paul's hope for the Romans, that they would experience hope for themselves. May the God of hope fill y'all with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is something that you and I are called to experience. It's a habit we've got to be constantly coming back to. So how do you, I mean, how do you develop a habit? 
I mean, if, if I'm asking you to make hope a habit, well, one thing you can do is you can rewire your brain. You can memorize that verse. In fact, I have a way that'll make it very easy for you to memorize that verse. In your bulletin, uh, Michelle Moyer printed out this beautiful bookmark with the verse on there. And you, by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, can tape that bookmark to the dashboard of your car. Or you can put a magnet on it and put it on your refrigerator. Or you can just memorize it. Or you can put it in your Bible. The last thing you are called to do is what? Put it in the trash can, right? You have to reshape what your mind looks at. That's one easy way to form a habit. Uh, Later on in our awesome congregational meeting that you're all dying to get to, um, we have little stickers with that little logo, Hope for the Valley, and they're the perfect size. They were uniquely designed, you know, specially designed. We got a video on how great it was designed. You'll love the video. It's just like, you know, Apple's videos of design, and it's perfectly designed to be placed on the back of your cell phone, Okay. So every time you can look at your phone, you can think about hope. So part of it is you have to start understanding that hope is not just simply an idea to think about. It needs to become a habitual thing that you think about. And you can't have hope simply in the things of this world. You have to have hope in what God is up to in our world. And if that's like too broad, what I want you to really grasp, friend, is what God is up to in our valley. Because for the vast majority of you, I know we've got visitors and we've got college students, but for most of us, this is where God has placed us. Whether you love it and you buy all the postcards or you hate it and you want to get out of here, for the time being, God's providential care has placed you in this valley, in a place where people need hope. And he is calling you and me to make hope a habit that we both experience and we express to the people around us. I mean, that's the hope of the gospel. It's not just something we sell to other people, like God's vacuum cleaner for the soul, but it's also not something we just keep for ourselves. It's both and, and so much more than that. It's something to experience, and it's something to express to others. So, you know, if I could make one request of you for this year as your pastor, um, friends, I want you to start having a vision for the people in your lives that need the hope of the gospel. And I want you to start inviting them to sit with you at church. Anyone here play baseball? What's a good batting average in baseball? About 300. If you bat 300, you know, pitches, pitching is up right now. Pitchers are doing great. If you bat about 300, you're, you're, you're batting as an all-star probably. Uh, you know, but studies will show that a non-Christian person or a de-churched person at about a 35% rate would go to church if someone just asked them. So one out of three would actually go with you. So if you came up with a list of three people in your mind that needed to know the hope of Jesus Christ, that you thought maybe, just maybe, they would come with me to hear about Jesus, well, statistics will show that one in three would actually sit with you, would actually come. Now, you can focus on the two that are saying no, but, buddy, there ain't a baseball manager that thinks that way, so don't you think that way. <laughs> if you got one out of three, you'd be an all-star. You know, it, it wasn't by accident, too, that you know, Michelle mentioned that we're doing Jumpstart at both services, 
and we're starting small groups, and we do connect classes, and we have a new discovery class. And you can even skip the connect groups and just hang out and drink coffee and eat cookies to the glory of God. Uh, Friends, our church is trying as best we can to equip y'all to bring people to the hope of Jesus Christ. Um, A year ago, I know it was a long time ago, and some of you weren't here, but a, a long time ago, in a Jacksonville far, far away, about a year ago, a young pastor um, with f- fewer gray hairs stood in front of you and <laughs> asked you, I said, you, when you look at church staff and you look at your pastor, you know, do y'all see me as a NASCAR driver racing the race of faith, which y'all sponsor? Is that our relationship? Or am I more like a soccer coach and our church is the team? And I equip and challenge you to get out on the field and compete. Well, Ephesians will say God has given us pastors and teachers, shepherds and evangelists to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, Friends, our staff is working very hard, and we feel a conviction from the Lord to spread the hope of the gospel. But friends, it it depends on you. And it's not just something you're selling. It's It's not just a spiritual commodity. We want you to experience hope. We want you to start expressing that hope. Find people. um, Invite people who don't go to church into your community groups or your Acts 2 groups or invite them to sit with you. Find those people who need hope. You know, those ideas of uh, joy and peace right there that he mentions, you know, joy is, is in Greek, joy is, is linked directly uh, to gladness and thankfulness. Uh, so whether you're like you're in love with the Rogue Valley and you take a bunch of selfies about it or you hate it and you take a bunch of mopey selfies about it, um, friends, part of the hope of the gospel is seeing the world around you in a new way and being thankful for where God has placed you, whether that's just for the rest of the afternoon until you go back to college or you're here until you have your cemetery spot up on the hill. And some of you do. That's not a joke. Friends, part of having hope is seeing what God is up to in our valley. Being joyful that God has placed you here. Being joyful that you are not going to have to do this alone. We're going to do it. We're going to do it as a church. And God's going to do amazing things. Not because we're great. Not because we've got the right plan. Not because we've got the right vision. It's going to work because... God is the God of hope. And one day he is coming back and he's going to renew everything. And you know that process is true because it's already started within you. I could keep going, but let me just finish up with this. How how important do you think hope is? I mean, how important? If I could give you 10% more hope, would you take it? Well, when uh, Dr. Wydick at the University of San Francisco was trying to figure out why these kids experience more hope or how could they know that these kids are experiencing more hope, well, he, he went and he interviewed the director of Compassion International, and he said, you know, why, why does your program work? And the director said, well, I did my Ph.D. dissertation on hope in childhood, and I can categorically prove to you that our programs instill hope, and that's really the difference. 
And so uh, what Professor Wydick did is he took a bunch of grad students again, and they uh, polled hundreds of students, uh, primarily in Jakarta, Indonesia. And they took these kids, uh, some of whom were in compassion programs, some of them who were not in those programs. And they did an experiment that's been widely attested in child psychology. They sat these kids down at a desk. Uh, they, put sort of a, uh, they put a blank sheet of paper like this in front of the child, and they gave them 24 colored pencils, and they sharpened all of them. And they asked the child, they said, draw yourself in the rain. And the kids who were not hopeful, that were not sponsored, they drew images like this. And I know that's grainy. I took it from a PDF from the article. Uh, and what they found is for the kids who don't have hope, uh, they draw themselves with one color. Uh, they, they are more likely to dig down deep. Uh, they also are more likely to miss facial features. Uh, they're more likely to be crying in the image. And, of course, they're more likely to be being rained on. Uh, so, uh, categorically, that, that is a, a self-understanding of a kid without hope. Um, the beautiful end is they also then showed what happens when a kid experiences hope. And how does that kid draw themselves? This now is a picture of a child who has hope. And there's a bunch of beautiful things about this image. First off, right off the bat, they chose many colors. Uh, secondly, not an inch of the child is wet. Not only is she wearing rubber red rain boots and not made wet by the pool of water, she's also sitting underneath a what? A multicolored umbrella. And she's doing, is she frowning? Is she crying? She's doing what? She's smiling. She has resiliency. And then my favorite part of the drawing is peeking through the clouds is what? It's the sun. You think hope is important for people? How many people in the Rogue Valley do you think are like that first drawing? How many kids, teenagers, friends? Friends, you have the hope of Christ within you. How can you not share it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel uh, that in Christ we are only ever loved and accepted, uh, that at the right time you died for the ungodly, that you have removed our sins as far as the east as from the west, that one day you are coming back and you are making all things new. Uh, Father, we pray for our church now that we would be a place that experiences the hope of the gospel, uh, that we would see our community, the Rogue Valley, in a new way, a place where you are at work and a place where you are calling us to extend your hope. And Father, we pray for everyone in this room, whether they are uh, not close to you or whether they're struggling in their faith, that you would speak a word of hope. Uh, Jesus, have mercy on them. May they abound in hope. May they know true joy and true peace by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.